Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Those of you who have not been with us last week won't know, but we're in the middle of studying the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis, and we have arrived at the account of God consuming these cities of wickedness. And this week we pick up this story again. I'm not sure whether we'll return to it a third time. John Calvin preached something like six sermons on it. Seven. Down, boy, down. Okay, seven. John Calvin preached eight sermons. So I'm going to read again this week. I think we'll stop with verse 11. And uh, so this is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand aside. Furthermore, they said, This one came in as an alien And already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, we looked at the wickedness of the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, but we also looked at the statement of Scripture about Lot, calling him righteous Lot, and quite understandably, this caused some anger in the part of women that a man who would do this to his daughters or who would propose such a thing concerning his daughters would ever be called righteous by God. And yet Scripture does say righteous lot in the New Testament. And so this is the reason I want to come back to this today because you know that I will occasionally refer to women as without sin because You know, compared to the sin of men, the sin of women looks kind of, you know, tame. But when you as a woman get angry at Scripture, you're getting angry at God. When you get angry that Lot is called righteous because of what he proposed concerning his daughters, I'm convinced that the reason that you get angry is because you don't know your own sin. And so, forgive me for doing this, Because it's not seemly to call women to look at their sin as a preacher. 
But just because you're pretty doesn't mean you aren't wicked. And so I really want to focus you in your thoughts today on your own sin. So that you will accept what God says about Lot. And not just about Lot, but about other men of God. And not just about men of God, but at the end of the sermon, about women of God. Okay? Now we pick up the account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, all right. I'll tell you. So last week I get done preaching. I go back to greet my wife. And she's angry. And usually she's not. Right, love? But she was angry. And I was feeling very weak after preaching that sermon last week, and I wanted the support of my wife, because isn't that what a wife is supposed to do? And it's unusual, and so it really slayed me. It made me feel depressed. And so I immediately wanted to know what she was angry about, and I said, you know, what are you angry about? And of course, my wife, I'm a narcissist, right? And so I thought it was me. I thought she, was, she had to be angry. If my wife is angry, you know... If a man speaks in the woods and there's no woman to hear him, is he still wrong? If my wife is angry and there are 10 million people standing all around me who are men, I'm absolutely convinced it's me that has failed her, right? And so I said to her, lover, what's, what's up? And she said, I don't want to talk about it because I'm not going to go to small group with a red face. Well, now I know she's really angry. She's so angry, she's going to cry. So you go through the motions of saying goodbye to everybody, but all you can think of is your wife is angry at you. And so finally, everything's done, and I call my wife, and she doesn't answer the phone. Then I call her a second time, and she doesn't answer the phone. I call her a third time, and I'm not just dogging her, I wait a sufficient amount of time that it's not rude. And I call her the third time, and she still doesn't answer the phone. So then I send her a text, and the text says, are you avoiding me? And I don't think I've ever sent my wife a text like that before. When we'd finally talk, and she wasn't. She wasn't avoiding me. She wasn't refusing to answer the phone. When I finally got a hold of her, it was that her phone had been off. All right. And when I finally talked to her, what she said was not that she was angry at me. What she was angry about was Lot and his treatment of his daughters. And so, I want to preach to my wife today. But I want to preach to you. I want to preach to you, dear mothers in the faith, To you, dear sisters, daughters, the men too, but I don't want you being angry about what. You can be angry at his actions, but I'm afraid that the real anger is that God has named Lot righteous. And so that's where I'm headed, and you have fair warning, okay? Come on, women, say okay. Okay, all right. I'm so happy. Thank you. (laughs) All right. They come, and they want the men. And it's not just a few of them. It's not, you know, some rogue gang, but it's it's all of them in the city. Because it says in verse 4, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. So we know the nature of this city, right? Now, how did Lot respond to their demands? Well, first he shut the door behind him. And it was very tense, and his life as well as the lives of his family and his house guests were at stake. You all know this, but let me say it. Gang rape is never far from murder. Put yourself in this position. If men are prepared to violate the most intimate, and 
intense relationship known to man, which is the relationship of sex, if they're prepared to violate God's order and God's law and God's character with their bodies ruining other men, what is it to kill them? There's a reason why sexual sin is always with violence. All right? And so in this situation, they're prepared to gang rape the sojourners in their midst. When Lot goes out of the door, he's putting himself in a situation where he can be dead just like that. Don't make any mistake about this. And so he goes out and we see in verse 7 that he says, first, please. And we just sort of go over that and think, well, you know, please, pretty please, pretty please with sugar and spice and everything. No, 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 please, please, please. Then he says, my brothers. Now, this is the equivalent of back in the 60s, you know, when you see somebody's like, peace, bro. In other words, they're not related by blood. He's making an appeal from the common descent of man, the brotherhood of man, brothers. Right? He's, he's an alien to their city, and he calls them brothers. Now, the Sodomites know that he is not a native-born son, son of the city. right? Because if you look at how they respond to him, it says, but they said, stand aside, so no brotherhood there. And then they say, in verse 9, furthermore they said, this one, <laughs> this one, right? This one came in as an alien. So, hey, brother, no, you're an alien. Came in as an alien, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we'll treat you worse. There's no brotherhood from them. He's saying, please, brothers. And they're going, who are you? We're going we're gonna to de- treat you worse than your guests. What made you a judge over us? Right? He says, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now, what's the point of the third statement? Well, the third statement needs to be something that you never forget. In Romans 1, where the Apostle Paul says that God has revealed himself to all men, all women, everyone. And then he ends up by talking about God giving them over to their degraded passions of homosexuality. He's making the same point that Lot is making here, Lot is not trying to explain to them that their actions are wicked. Trust me, every idiot knows that homosexuality is a crime against nature and nature's God. Trust me, the Supreme Court had no confusion on the matter. The Supreme Court knew that they were giving the middle finger to God. There was no confusion on the Supreme Court. None whatsoever. There is no confusion when you sit down with the head diversity advocate at IU like I did about 12 years ago. And I looked at him and he just talked all about his homosexuality and that he had a partner who had just died of AIDS two years earlier and now he had a new partner and just very cheerful about it all. And he, he even told us how his wife, his sister was a fundamentalist Christian in Iowa and when he saw her, she warned him that he was headed for hell if he continued down the path he was going on. And meeting him for lunch, I'd asked him for lunch. At lunch, I said to him, you know that what you're doing is wickedness. You know that. And he, he didn't disagree with me. Listen, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know what body parts go with body parts, right? All through history, everyone always has known that adultery is a crime against God and man. Everyone all through history has known that incest is a crime against God and man. Everyone all through history has known that bestiality is a crime against God and man. All through history, everyone has known that homosexuality is a crime against God and man. Everyone has always known that fornication is a crime against God and man. And when he said, do not act wickedly, everyone there knew that their act was wicked. He didn't have to explain it to them. Didn't have to give them a little book 
about, you know, the true nature of, of, of the rainbow. Okay? You don't understand that, but that's because the rainbow has been co-opted by the wicked in our country. Okay. The Sodomites knew their actions were wicked before God, and they knew it was God who made them and not themselves. In other words, they didn't just know that it was a crime against nature. They knew God made them. They knew it was a crime against God. This is always the case. Men know God made them and they know these sins against nature. When Abram lies and tells pagan rulers his wife is his sister and they take her into their home for, for the sake of them being her, them, their concubine or their wife, and later they find out she's actually his wife, they are angry with Abraham because he's leading them into adultery. Pharaoh is angry at Abraham because Abram led Pharaoh into adultery. Pharaoh! Pharaoh's not a covenant believer. Pharaoh doesn't have the law. Pharaoh knew. Lot appealed to the Sodomites' conscience, pleading with them, do not act wickedly. But then, Lot offered them his own daughters to satisfy their sexual desire. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they've come under the shelter of my roof. Now, what are we to make of this? Well, first, the most obvious explanation is that Lot cared nothing for his daughters. He was a typical ancient patriarch who had no love, no respect, no affection for the women in his life. Now, this is the most frequent thing that people believe about this story. You'll find it on the internet. You'll find it everywhere. Back then, women were nothing. You'll find it in the commentaries on Scripture here. Back then, women were nothing. Men treated them like slaves. Men treated them like possessions. Men didn't love their wives. Men didn't love their mothers. Men didn't love their sisters. Men didn't love their daughters. And, of course, the subtext of that is moi. Me, now now look at me. Unlike this patriarch, I love my wife, I love my daughters, I love my sisters, and I love my mother. Right? That's the subtext always. That you and I have evolved to the point where we treat women like equals, right? We actually have finally gotten to the point where in America today, women are equal to men. Finally, women are treated right. And, 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 and the gullibility of us boggles my mind. I mean, our conceit is, is hilarious if it weren't so tragic. So, a generation that has finally gotten the Supreme Court to make legal our killing of the babies we have conceived in a woman that we're not married to so that she can now pay a few few dollars and kill the baby legally after centuries going back to the time of Christ of condemnation, unilateral condemnation of abortion, unilateral, that we have finally risen to the level in our respect for women that we can just simply give them $500 and they can go to Planned Parenthood anywhere and kill their unborn children. That's because finally women are equal. And it's just, it's absolutely absurd. It's like, here's an idea. A woman who has a child in her belly loves the child in her belly. Oh, come on. A woman is a life giver. She's a life giver. A woman goes to bed with a man because she loves life, because she loves love, because life and love are together. When a woman becomes pregnant because she has relations with a man, it's not because she's heartless and cruel. 
It's because she's made to give life. That's how God made us. And so for a woman to have a man say to her, you know, every movie has this at the center of the plot, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, come on, people, watch your movies. Would you please watch them? So always, every movie, they're having sex, they're not married, and there comes the moment. And you know what the moment is? The moment is when she tells him she's pregnant. And what happens then? Well, the minute she tells him that she's pregnant, the camera focuses on her face and it's just radiant, right? That's what happens, right? No, 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 no. You never see her face after she says, I'm pregnant. <laughs> no, 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 no. The camera, and mind you, the, 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 men, the men who are designing these movies and using the cameras are men who a lot of them have been absolutely filthy. And yet, what do they do? They take that camera and they pan it to the face of the man. And why? Well, because every person, as they watch the movie, is dwelling in the heart of the woman. Because it's the essence of vulnerability. She has allowed herself to bear the child of this man. And so all anybody cares about is what? The response of the man. The response of the man. And if that man shows the slightest ambivalence, I don't care if you're a man or a woman, if you're young or old, you have trouble restraining your hostility to that man. Why? Because God's written in our hearts the love of life. God's written in our hearts the love of womanhood, the love of femininity, the love of vulnerability, the love of life-giving. And the pagans don't want to, but they testify to God every time they make these movies. The woman gets pregnant. She presents this beautiful gift to the man. And if the man tramples on this gift, we hate him. We understand him. But don't you think that we most hate the sins that we best understand? <laughs> you know, that's what I found in my life. This is personally true of me. <laughs> you know. And so here we are, living in a nation that kills the unborn children. One quarter of all of them conceived are killed. And we think that we can condemn Lot? This is absurd. We don't love women. We have women go through basic training and then get deployed. Mind-boggling. <laughs> it's absolutely mind-boggling. Every century of men across history would absolutely jump up and down on us with their combat boots that we send women to fight for us. It's utterly repulsive. And then you look at the homes that are filled in our country with Malakoi men. What is Malakoi? It literally means soft men. And they're in their parents' home doing drugs, playing video games, and not working. And mama's just so patient. And we think that women finally have dignity and equality in our country. And then women are left when they get old and they have certain things wrong with their body because they gave life from their body and then their husband thinks that they're not quite as attractive anymore. And the husband stops having you-know-what with them. And then the husband, what? The husband starts preying on their daughters. The husband abandons them for younger flesh. And then we have pastors who are so evolved and progressive that when that man shows up the next week in church with that young flesh, he sits in view of this woman and her children. How many times have I heard this? Come on, people. And we think women have equality today? It's insane. And then they're the ones that are left in poverty. No fault divorce hasn't it's absolutely never hurt men. And then they're the ones who, get the, who bear the brunt of the STDs. Come on! 
And we think we're superior to the patriarchs? Come on. This nation despises femininity. It despises the weaker vessel because it requires the weaker vessel to be strong. And strong in precisely the same way that men are strong. And it's a complete destruction of femininity. And so we look back at Lot and we're just so filled with self-righteous condemnation of Lot. Because back then women weren't women. You know, back then women were chattel, they were slaves, they were possessions, they didn't have the right to have a bank account. And that's the level, the superficial level that we judge history. Come on, people. Judge things rightly. Would you please look at life through the eyes of Scripture instead of Scripture through the eyes of life? God's not a fool. God knows our sin. He knows our sinful judgments. He knows our fears. He knows our conniving at the wickedness around us. And so the first solution is not a solution. It's no solution for us to look at Lot and just think that we're superior, we've evolved, we're progressive, and back then women were chattel, but today they're equal. It's just bogus. That's not a solution. So what are the second solution? If it wasn't Lot's disdain for womanhood, and specifically his daughters, what was it? Well, some have explained Lot's actions by proposing that Lot was actually being sneaky and that he never intended to give his daughters up to the lust of the Sodomites. After all, the Sodomites were what? Go ahead, you can say it. It's safe. We're in a church. The Sodomites were? Go ahead. You can, it's safe. You're in a church. You can finally speak biblically. The Sodomites were what? Whoa, that was scary. <laughs> the Sodomites were Sodomites. And so if they're Sodomites, right, they don't want a woman, do they? They want a man. And so what people say is that what was going on here was that Lot knew the Sodomites, and so he made a show of trying to appease them, but he knew they wouldn't be interested, and so the daughters were safe. So does that get us out of the problem? The answer is no. And the answer is no because you know the daughters could hear what was going on outside that door. And do you think if you were a daughter that you would have felt okay with that? <laughs> you know, imagine... Oh, don't worry, Dad's just like doing a hypothetical. <laughs> it's no comfort, right? In some ways, you'd be even more angry, you know, that not only was he proposing the thing, but that it was just a hypothetical. It's like, now that's almost like chattel being used in that way. Okay, it's possible, but it doesn't make us even slightly more sympathetic to Lot. How would you feel if you were his daughters, you heard the offer, even knowing he was banking on the fact that the Sodomites would not take his offer? Would you feel valued by your father? Would you feel that your father loved you? No. It doesn't satisfy us, this solution. We must face the fact that Lot was truly prepared to sacrifice his daughters to save his house guests. Okay? We must face that. And so how do we understand this? Well, I want to make three points. First, last night, first, you and I have absolutely no comprehension of the intensity of obligation that hosts have towards those they bring under the protection of their roof in all times and all cultures other than ours. That's where we start. We're not able to identify with what? Because we're not able to identify with a hospitality culture. But all other cultures everywhere across all time would first understand the incredibly heavy obligation he had to protect his guests. Last night I finished a book that Lucas gave me, I think it was Lucas, on the Congo. And... It's a fascinating book of the history of the Congo. At the very end, though, the book ends in China. And those of you that know Africa know why. Because now we're almost at the present, and the question is, now that instead of 
Europe and America and other places being the ones that are colonizing Africa. Now it's China that's colonizing Africa. China is now the one that's buying up all their, uh, their minerals, their iron ore, everything. And so, it, and it's not just that China is buying up the raw, the resource, natural resources of Africa, it's also that the Africans are going over to China to buy cheap products that they can sell in Kinshasa. So, the author, who's a Belgian, uh, the author had made friends with some women who uh, had, had made enough money to buy houses and to have a very luxurious lifestyle, luxurious dress. Um, and what he did was he got on a plane and he flew from Kinshasa by way of Ethiopia or uh, the West. There are two routes, but he flew over to China. And when he got to China, um, he went into, uh, into the city with him with Gongshou and uh, went to this part of Gongshou that is, uh, I forget the names for it, um, but it's all African. And it's mostly Congolese. And I think there's something like 150,000 people there. And so he's talking about them filling up these containers that aren't container ships. You know, he, basically each person goes over and fills a container with what they think they can sell in Kinshasa. Some of them filled five and ten containers. And then they go back home. And I think on the last, second to last, third from last page, um, he stops and he makes this observation. He says, you know, there are some things that are different about the Congolese culture in Gongshao that, from Kinshasa. And he says, one of them is that when you run into another Congolese in Gongshao, he said, they will, uh, they, will, they will be entirely happy for you to show up at their house, their apartment, their business, and quick, handle the things that need to be handled and leave. But he says, in, in Kinshasa, he said, if you even go over just to borrow a knife, you know, you will never get out of the house in less than four hours. People, we have no comprehension of that. None. We have none. We think, we don't know who, who it's worse for, the visitor or the host. People come when they want, and you set everything, everything aside, everything. It doesn't matter if you're out in the garden covered with sweat and mud. It doesn't matter if you're changing the baby's diaper. It does not matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if the President of the United States has just called you on the phone. It is imperative that you go to the door, that you welcome them, and that you spend four hours assuring them that you had nothing to do in your life except run to meet them, kneel before them, kill the fattened calf, and make them feel like their life has meaning. Okay? So then yesterday I was talking to my best friend Robert on the way to the airport. And we were talking about hospitality, and Robert told me about he, made it, he, made, he and his wife made many trips over to um, Albania. And he was telling me that in Albania, it's very difficult. First of all, Albania is just unbelievably poor to start with. Albania is poor. But he said even in Albania, among the Christians, there are some Christians who are intensely poor in Albania. And he said one day he and a missionary to Albania we're going to go and visit somebody in the church who was extremely poor. But it was, this, it, was this, it was this great difficulty because they knew when they showed up at this man's house that he was going to have to kill the fattened calf, but he had no fattened calf. And so you want to go see him because, of course, this is something to be remembered the rest of his life. You know, that he had guests. And, of course, you can't separate including a guest from the United States of America who's a pastor and is older, you know. And so they go to show up at his house and they know that they're like setting off dynamite in his life. 
as soon as they get there, he sends a child out to the local, you know, little tiny building that sells a few things. And pretty soon the child comes back and there's some, he's, he's obviously bought some like tangerine mix, like Kool-Aid. And so they mix it with the water and that's what they serve their guests. You know, it's a powdered orange drink. And how has he paid for that powdered orange drink? Well, Robert said to me that he was sure that the man paid for it by just saying, look, I'll pay you back. And so he used credit. And Robert said that the missionary was in great um, anguish about how to handle it. So the missionary found a way of of putting money underneath uh, a little piece of cloth that was on a table. So he hid money so that later the person could find the money and there would be plausible deniability. You know what I'm saying? People, we don't have any clue what hospitality is. We have no clue. Our lives are not to be interrupted, and other people know that. We don't want guests. We don't want to be interrupted. What we want is to show how superior we are to everyone else by having a cut lawn, a snowblowed driveway, a weeded garden, homeschooled children who are brighter than anybody else, a husband who treats us like a princess in front of our friends, and then we brag about our prince of a husband to our friends. And we go to a church that's conservative. And you know, in that kind of environment, who wants a sodomite showing up for dinner? Who wants our next door neighbor coming over? Who wants interruptions? It's hard enough living a Christian life without interruptions. I mean, to heck with loving Bloomington. I got to love myself. I mean, y'all with me? It's just disgusting. Okay, and I'm talking about myself, right? You, you recognize the garden, you recognize the snowboard, the grass cutter, and all this stuff, right? You know, I had to restrain myself. I got facial tics yesterday because I had to take Robert to the airport, and, and I just made a decision I was not going to go through the car wash yesterday. <laughs> And so here these guests are, and they're under the protection of Lot. And Lot feels it. He feels it heavily. They're trying to be raped by the men of his city. And Lot cannot allow it. His manhood, his faith, his, his patriotism, his, his respect, everything is on the line with what happens to his house guests. Do you understand this? Everything is on the line. He will never live it down in his own heart, before God, and before his neighbors if he allows them to do what they want to do with his guests. And guess what? He makes the absolute wrong decision. He makes the wrong decision. And I know none of you can understand this. It's just impossible because you make all the, come on, it's, it's the phrase I most despise today other than talking about passion. That one I despise too. But other than passion, the phrase I most despise in our world is what? The right choice. You know, nobody can talk about sin anymore. <laughs> you know, son, you need to learn to make the right choices. Yeah, but Dad, I have a wicked heart. Well, just go to school. They'll educate it, and then you'll make the right choices. But Dad, it's my heart. That's why I hate the right choices, right? Well, the truth is, Lot doesn't make the right choice. In the heat of the moment, with the pressures he's facing... And it was an intense time. What Lot should have done is he should have cried out to God. 
and pleaded with God to protect his guests and him. And maybe he should have stood outside of the door and said over my dead body, maybe he should have gone in. I don't know. But he should never have said, take my daughters. Right? He should never have said that. Okay, watch this now. Any idiot knows that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have been on a battle to get that little girl to like me for a year now. And everything I do, she cries. This is my granddaughter, Mary Louise, you know. She has the same attitude towards me my mother did. <laughs> Earlier this week at one of the conference things, I went over and kissed her and was trying to look very soft and nice to her, you know. And I just reached out to touch her cheek and I had static electricity and started <laughs> zap, you know. <laughs> it's like, it's just, oh. Anyhow, so be quiet. He should have, at all costs, he should have died to protect his daughters. Okay? We know this, right? We know this. We know Lot failed. Lot knew he failed. God knows Lot failed. Moses knew it when he wrote the account. His wife knew it. And so, listen, women. Have you got your pound of flesh? Okay? Nobody's defending Lot. We're trying to help you understand him. But now, here's what I want to say to you. Who are you to judge Lot? Who are you to judge Lot? You think you're so much better than Lot, don't you? Come on, be honest with me. You do. But listen, how many times have I had to talk to mothers who were consistently opposing their husband's discipline of their son. And they were destroying their son. Come on, do you understand what I'm saying? Women who are so into relationships, not, not physical, you know what, but relationships that they are prepared to take their son and corrupt him by opposing the discipline of their husband for their son because they want to have a warm relationship with their son. I mean, this is the work of ministry. I never stop talking to mothers about this. Every mother, it's like this. And you say, in my family, it's not. And I say, okay, fine, it's not in yours, but it's everywhere else. And how many times have I had to talk to mothers who had decided that they would not be intimate with their husband anymore. And so they weren't. And then they noticed their husband doting on their daughter. Right? And years later, when I go to talk to the mother, what does the mother say to me? The mother says, I didn't know, and she wails. I didn't know. She wails. And I look at her and I say, you did too now. And instantly she stops crying. And she listens very carefully. And I say, don't you remember the night that your daughter said this and this and this to you? And sometimes it's 40 years earlier. Just like that. She starts wailing again. And this time, she's really wailing. You women, you need God's mercy. You need God's mercy. It's not just me. You are really wicked. You will do anything to prove your superiority to other women. You live by jealousy. You're competitive to your core when it comes to other children. 
You'll walk all over a friend just to get a husband. And you'll spend your dying days hating your ex-husband. And this is true. And so don't you look down on Lot. Don't you look down on Lot. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that Lot was a righteous man. The Bible says this about Lot. It says, And if God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction, by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then... The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Lot was a righteous man. Lot was tormented by Sodom in a way you are not tormented by Bloomington. Okay? You should look up to Lot. And you say, but he gave his daughters. And I say, yes, that was a terribly wicked thing. And he got what he deserved for that. Because those women. But have you ever thought about those women? Have you ever thought about what they did? They got their dad drunk and then both bedded him. And how about Lot's wife? Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. And it's not positive. Because she was turned into a pillar of salt. Why? Why was Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt? She had been there in the house that night. She knew everything that went on. And when that city is being consumed by the wrath of God, she turns back. She casts a longing look at the wickedness that God has rescued her from. Listen, Lot as a man, needed the blood of Jesus Christ. Lot's wife, as a woman, she needed the blood of Jesus Christ. Lot's daughters needed the blood of Jesus Christ. And we've got righteous Abraham, who is our father if we live by faith. And we've got Isaac, right? who did the same thing his dad did. He, he passed his wife off as his sister. We've got Jacob. Oh, ho, ho, ho. That guy is just a scoundrel. We've got Lot. And, you know, in the final analysis, we have to realize that there is none righteous. There's not one. And you have to realize you are not righteous. You're not. You aren't pretty. You aren't good. And what the Bible says is that the Bible says that Jesus came to rescue the ungodly. And so if you will recognize the ungodliness of Lot and you will recognize your own ungodliness, then you will love the blood of Jesus. But if you condemn Lot, it's because you think that you're God's gift to man and you ain't.
You don't even begin to be God's gift to man. You may be God's gift to me. You are God's gift to me. I tell you that all the time. But you're not God's gift to man. Because God is holy. And God will not tolerate ungodliness. And the only way Abraham was saved was by believing and trusting in God. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Lot. Lot trusted in God. We don't begin to trust in God until we see our sins as they really are. And the whole point of preaching is to constantly call you to see your sins the way they are. Because then, everybody's level under the cross, and everybody loves everybody, and come on, people, smile on your brother, everybody get together and let us love one another right now, right now, right now. (laughs) But it only happens under the cross among those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And the rest of it is all counterfeit. And finally, would you please remember someone else that Scripture refers to as righteous? Okay, right? Okay. Someone else who is mentioned in the genealogy of Matthew of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Someone else who is mentioned in the great hall of faith in Hebrews. And that person is Rahab. <laughs> A hoe. And when God sent spies to Jericho, And he was going to wipe Jericho out. Her family, her loved ones, her clients. Rahab, by God's grace, put her faith in God. And she hid the spies. And it was because she had faith. It's an unbelievable story. But we read in Hebrews, By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. But it doesn't say by works, it says by faith, Rahab. And then it says what her faith produced in terms of works, right? She wasn't saved because she helped the spies. She helped the spies because she had faith. And and it's faith that God is pleased to use to born us again. So, who are you, really? Who are you? Are you good? You're not good. I'm not good. You're not good. We're not good. We are the ungodly that God's Son had to die to save. Now, I want you to listen to this psalm, Psalm 6, that the band has written a song about and recorded. And as you listen to this, I want you to make this your prayer. Okay? Forget who's sitting next to you. Forget me. Forget the musicians. Here is a prayer given to us by God for us to pray. And so pray this as we come to the Lord's table. Pray it, okay? I love you. Be humble. Be humble.